Good morning, everyone. So good to have you in class today. And this is the Cross Church Summer School of Faith. And we have reviewed uh, the lives of many great men and women over the last number of weeks. And uh, it'll be actually 10 weeks in total that we are, we are looking at these great men and women of faith. We've looked at the lives of Abel and Cain, and, or Abel and Enoch, pardon me, and Abraham, uh, Sarah, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, and uh, today uh, we'll be looking at the life of David. But know this, these uh, stories are so inspiring that Hollywood has made movies about all of them. It's, it's that inspiring. And what makes them so inspiring is that these men and women have amazing faith. Now, before we go any further, I just want to remind everybody, in case, in case you missed the, the, the class when we talked about this, um, faith is not like a magic power. Does everybody know that? Does people have this, this notion or this idea that if I have enough faith, then I can, I can move, move mountains and I can start cars and I can, I can just about do anything just, just by having an, enough faith. So if you have that notion or that idea that that's what faith is, then you're, you're, you're totally missing it. You totally don't understand it. So we want to make it clear today that faith is believing God and doing what he says. So a few weeks ago, my niece asked me about that verse where it says, if you have, enough, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can, um, you can move that mountain. And then another place, you know, we, can, we can curse trees and they'll die and be that kind of faith that, that has this magical power that can just do amazing things. Here's what you need to understand. You're not the one that's got the, the power. Does everybody get that? Who's got the power? God, that's right. I thought you were going to say Jesus because that's always the answer. But, but that would be right too. God's got the power. And here's what you need to know. If God wants you to have that mountain moved, then you can move it. Because you're going to believe him and you're going to do exactly what he tells you to do. That's where the power comes from. It's not, it's not uh, resident in you in the sense that, that you're, you're like God. This is a teaching that really ravaged the church for, well, for the last several decades. And it's still having an effect. You need to understand that God's the one who's got the power. And every time you believe God and do what he says then what happens, folks, is that his power now flows through you so that his will is done. Does everybody understand that today? So if you want to know the power of God at work in your life, then all you have to do is believe him and do what he says. Obey, Ray, that's good too. Obey, obey him. Believe him and do what he says. So we've been studying through Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, learning from the great men and women of faith and the author, he's gone through all these people, and he, here's what he says here in, in Hebrews 11:32. How much more do I need to say? I've shown you all these great men and women of faith. How many, how many more do I need to bring to you? He says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David. By the way, that's not Barack Obama. Samson. Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets, and we could go on and on. In fact, next week, we're going to be talking about, about the early believers, and you might be surprised at what, what you discover next week. I hope you will be. But understand this. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to actually 
we're going to actually zero in on David. You'll notice that there's nothing really said about David. There's more said about Rahab in chapter 11. Rahab the prostitute, remember? His name is just mentioned, but I wanted to zero in on him because you can't really go through a series on faith and not not talk about the guy that slew the giant, right? So we're going to talk about David today. And... um, but here's what, here's what we need to understand. As we're looking at, 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 at these great men and women of faith, um, David is, in fact, one of the most inspiring men of faith. And, and he has some of the greatest faith ever, ever revealed in Scripture. So as we look at the life of King David, understand this, that what God did in David's life, God can do in your life. Uh, by the way, uh, I told you that, that, uh, that Hollywood makes movies about these great characters because of their faith. Um, I, I'm not recommending that you go and watch this, but it definitely is, uh, uh, from what I've understood, I've never seen it, but I, I, I checked, checked out to see what's, what's in it. So there's some spots in there that you're going to have to fast forward if you do watch it. But anyway, understand this. This guy, it, it, look at the tagline. He changed the world forever. Interesting, isn't it? This is Hollywood saying that King David changed the world forever. And you're going to see in a few moments why that is, or why they would say such a thing. Here's what you and I need to know. Of all the kings of Israel, David is considered the greatest king of Israel. God declared that David was a man after his own heart. God has never said that about anybody except except Jesus Christ himself. David is a man after God's own heart. So if God's saying that David is a man after his own heart, then we need to stop and look at his life and find out what is it about his faith that has has so endeared David to God's heart. One of the things we discover is that David has an amazing relationship with God. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that David has written at least half of the Psalms, maybe a little over half of the Psalms, over the, there's 150 of them, and he's written probably 76, 77, 78, depending on, on what you believe the scholars, what you believe the scholars to say about that. A few people in the scripture have so much written about them. Um, they're literally chapters and chapters on the life of David. God declared that David's throne would last forever, and that his descendants, Jesus, would reign on that eternal throne. And so we recognize that David is not just one of the historical, uh, one of the great historical persons in the, in the scripture. This is a man that we need to look carefully at to discover what is it about him that, that he would be a, a great grandfather to Jesus himself. And before we go any further, I'm gonna remind you that Life is a series of tests. Just a reminder that you're going to be tested every day of your life till the day you die. And as Christians, we understand that when we're being tested, this is an opportunity for us to grow. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But David certainly understood this because as we read through the Psalms that he's written, he says this over and over again. God tests us. God tests us. God tests my heart. God tests my spirit. Test my mind. See if there's anything in me, God, that is wicked or offensive to you. David understands that in order for him to grow and in order for him to please God, God has to test him and reveal to him what's inside of him that's not acceptable, what needs to change. 
and what's good. If you think you're going to get through life and not be tested, well, folks, I'm going to tell you, first of all, you really don't know what the Scripture is saying. And secondly, you have believed a lie. The lie that when you become a Christian, you'll never have a problem ever again. You'll never have a trial. You'll never have any suffering. You'll never have any difficulty. I'm going to tell you that is a popular teaching. Very attractive. It's exactly what my ears want to hear. Right? I don't, I don't want to have any problems. I don't have any suffering. I don't have any trials. I don't have any difficulties. And yet, this is wishful thinking. It's not reality. And I think all of us know it. The moment you're born, you come out of your mother's womb crying your head off. I was there for all three of the births of our kids, and I'm going to tell you, none of the kids came out saying, ha I'm here. <laughs> I'm so glad I made it. Hey, Ma, hey, Pa. This is, Life's hard. And the wonderful thing, folks, is that, is that God is working in us to make us into the men and the women that he wants us to be. Someone say, praise God for that. Yeah. He's working in us. The question is this this morning. Are you prepared to allow God to change you? Are you prepared to let God have his way in your life, to make you the man or the woman that God wants you to become? Because here's what I know. I know that, that every single person here today is in the middle of a test, was just tested, or is being tested, or is going to face a test the minute you walk out the door. And the question is this, is how are you going to respond? Will you pass the test or will you fail it? One of the great books, one of the greatest books I ever read in preparation for the ministry was a book by the name of Alan Redpath. He's long, long since passed away. But the name of the book was called The Making of the Man of God. And it's based on the life of David. I'm going to tell you, my life was radically transformed by reading that book when I began to understand that God allows us to go through times of testing in order to transform us and make us into the men and the women he wants us to become. The making of the man of God. So let's talk about the making of the man of God. Let's talk about David's life. And here's what we discover. Uh, we discover that in the first years of David's life, he's actually a shepherd boy. And David is literally away from his family uh, for, for days on end. He's out with his sheep. But what's he doing? He's trying to get his sheep to places where they can safely graze, where they can eat to their heart's content, because fat sheep means a rich dad. He understands that. So he wants his sheep to be healthy. He wants them to eat well. He wants to keep them safe. And I'm going to tell you that, uh, that here's David, just David, caring for his sheep all alone in the wilderness. Here's what you need to know. It was there in the wilderness that God began his work of molding and shaping David to become the man that God wanted him to become. Now, can I just say this before I go any further? Because some of you right now may be in a wilderness. You may be experiencing what David experienced for the first years of his life. Things aren't going well. Things seem to be dry. You're not, you're not spiritually revved up the way you'd like to be. Um, where you are right now is not what you had imagined. You dreamt that maybe things would be far better, far greater. You may be David in the wilderness, going through a difficult time, maybe going through a dry time, maybe feeling 
You know, God has abandoned me. Here I am, all alone in the wilderness. Nobody, I'm all alone. I'm lonely. I have nobody, no friends, no family, just a bunch of bleeding sheep. Bleating, I said. God, where are you? Where's this joyous, victorious Christianity that I was supposed to have? And I'm going to tell you, folks, sometimes God has us on mountaintops, and sometimes he has us in valleys. I can tell you, I love mountaintops. That's why I like going to Banff. I love that experience of getting up high and looking down on the world. It feels so, so breathtaking. But the majority of life, my friend, is lived in valleys. Lived, in fact, in wildernesses where God can shape you and mold you and make you the person he wants you to be. Well, that was just a, a sideline and no extra charge for that. David was Israel's um, second king. The first king was King Saul. And if you know your Bible, if you read through your Bible every year or gone through the Old Testament at least once, and you know that the first king of Israel was Saul, and he was an absolute failure. And if you look at Saul's life through the, uh, through the eyes of, of testing, of understanding that we all go through tests, you'll see that he was tested a number of times, and he failed every single time. And it was always Samuel coming to Saul and saying, okay, now what have you done? Now what have you done? God told you to do this, and you did that, and God said you're supposed to do the other thing, and you wouldn't refuse to do this and do that, and so next thing you know, there's Saul being told by Samuel, it's over. You are not going to be the king anymore. God directs Samuel, the prophet, to go and prepare the next king of Israel. God says to Samuel, go to Jesse and anoint one of his sons, now, in case you don't know who Jesse is, he's actually the great, great, great grandson of Rahab, whom we spoke of last week. You'll notice that in the genealogy of Christ are some great men and women of faith. Jesse brought his seven sons to Samuel because Samuel wanted to anoint one of them to be the next king. And... Uh, Samuel laid his eyes on Eliab and thought, man, this is the guy. Look at him. Perfect specimen, good-looking, tall, well-spoken, articulate. This is the guy. But no sooner had Samuel thought those words, and God spoke to Samuel and said, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And, and, and this is what God says. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to you once again. And there, again, no extra charge for this. You may think that you need to be a, look a certain way and have a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of education, that you've got to be a certain way in order for God to use you. But God says, no. I don't judge human beings by the standards that humans judge humans. I look at people's hearts. And by the way, the only one that can look at our hearts is God himself, right? So when I hear someone say, you know, man, he's a good man or she's a good woman, you got no right to do that. You haven't got the right to judge anybody. 
not for good or for bad. Did you get that? You can't say he's a good person or a bad person because you, you don't know what's going on in a person's heart. By the way, just, just, just to, to clarify for the future, in case you get it in your head, you're going to do that. God, only God can see the heart. And so Samuel, is, he's, okay, what's going on here? God, you told me to come to Jesse and to anoint one of his sons, and you keep saying no, 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 no. So Samuel, not knowing what to do, he says to Jesse, okay, look at, is there somebody missing here? And, and Jesse says, well, as a matter of fact, yes, there is somebody missing. My youngest son, but I didn't think you'd want to see him because he's just a shepherd. Hey, when someone says to you, you're just a whatever, just say, don't you dare call me just a whatever. God says, uh, bring that boy in. And so that's exactly what happens. I, 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 kind, of, I kind of fantasize that, that Eliab the Great the son that Samuel expected would be the next king, that it was he who was sent to get his little brother. Wouldn't that just irk him? Like, well, I'm going to go now, and I'm going to go find my little brother? And so that's exactly what happens. And so little David, and I say little David, I'm doubting that he would be over five feet, probably taller, or shorter, I mean. Sorry. David comes before Samuel, and David's uh, little humble David, stinking like sheep. <laughs> Has anybody ever been to a barnyard where there's livestock? It doesn't smell pretty. And I'm sure Samuel's thinking to himself, man, this kid does not smell like a king to me. <laughs> and God says to Samuel, this is the man. This is the one I want. This, this, is, this is my guy. This is the one that's going to get the job done. And it, look at his brothers standing there looking. Like they're, not, they're not clapping. <laughs> there's, there's no smiles on their faces. They're like, should we pick up a sheep and throw it at him? Like, what, what are... Who does, what's going on here? Well, Samuel anoints David, and, and you know the story. David is anointed to be the next king of Israel while there's still a king on the throne. Samuel, do you think you should have maybe waited till Saul was dead? Do you really think this was wise? Well, Samuel's doing things God's way. And so... David now is anointed, and his brothers maybe have a, a new sort of respect, maybe. The father certainly does. And one day he says to David, David, I want you to go into, into town or go to where, where your brothers are, and, and I want you to bring them some food. Your brothers are all fighting for Israel, and I'm sure they must be hungry, so go bring your brothers some food. And while he's there bringing his brothers some food, he discovers that there's, in fact, a major standoff between the Philistine army and the Jewish-Israeli army. And David's like, what's going on here? What's happening? He's asked his brothers, and his brothers say, go back home, you little show-off, and who do you think you are? Just like a typical older brother. I've got one. 
They're all the same older brothers, right? Anybody have an older brother? Yeah. Anyway, I don't have any anger issues, I'm telling you. But there's David with his brothers listening to the God of Israel being blasphemed by Goliath, the Philistine giant. And here's his challenge. He says to the Israeli army, you send me one of your guys to fight me, and if you win, then you conquer us, and we will become subject to you. But if we win, then you become subject to us. Now, King Saul's not stupid. He can see that the guy that they've got fighting for them is taller than anybody else. And there's actually nobody in Israel, not even Saul, who, by the way, is head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. Not even he is tall enough to take on this giant. And so Saul forgets about his God. He forgets that God is the God of Israel, the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt, who sent the plagues, who separated the water so that the people could cross on dry land. He forgets all this. He forgets that, that God is the one who caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. Saul has absolutely zero faith. He does not believe that God's going to keep his word. Of course, he's not telling anybody this. He's not advertising this. But the sad reality is, is that his unwillingness to come up against Goliath is, is a, a loud message to his people. Saul does not trust God. And David comes along and says, who dares to defy the living God of Israel? Who dares to do that? So David says, let me at him. Let me at him. Just like little puny little David and massive Goliath. Let me at him. I'll teach him something. Does anyone remember that cartoon, that little, <laughs> and he's going to flip the, he's going to get a hold of that, that uh, the rooster, what's his name, Leghorn, something or other. He's going to, yeah, it's a, he's going he's to conquer, but he's got no power. He's just a little, little guy. Someone tells the king, hey, King Saul, we got somebody that's willing to take on the giant. And Saul's like, oh, phew, show, bring him in. And then in walks little David. Are you kidding me? This little squirt? And David's got to think fast. He's going to be thrown out of the presence of the king in just a moment. But David begins to speak words of faith. He begins to say, I can take this guy on. I killed lions. I killed bears. I can, I can take this guy on. So David's like, well, okay, let me, I'll hear what you got to say. Saul's like, okay, tell me, what are you going to do? David says, I have, I have cared for my father's sheep. I've never lost any. I have taken on every wild beast. And this Goliath is just a wild beast. I'll have him down in no time. Speaking words of faith to the king, this boy. And Saul thinks, oh, well, someone's got to do something. And maybe, uh, maybe we'll just we'll feed him to the giants. And when no one's looking, we'll attack. Who knows what Saul's thinking? Saul says, look, I, I can't just send you in as you are. Take my, take my armor, put it on. And so David is he's in Saul's 
armor. And remember, Saul's a big man. This David's a little guy, and he can't even walk in this, in this stuff. And David says, I can't, I can't wear this stuff. Just let me go with my sling. I'll be fine. So Saul's like, okay, we'll do this. We'll do this thing. You see David. Some would say that his brain hasn't fully developed here yet. And it says he doesn't just walk towards the giant, he runs towards the giant. And you can see Saul way, way in the background, maybe sitting on a horse somewhere far away. Far away enough so that if something doesn't work out right, he can take off. Zero faith. David runs towards the giant. As he's running towards the giant, he stoops down, he picks up five small stones for his sling. Some say, if he had such great faith, why did he have five smooth stones? I'll tell you why, because Goliath had brothers. And David had the stone, one for each of them. Isn't that good? You can read more about this yourself later, by the way. David had a stone, one for each of the brothers. And if Goliath goes down and there's somebody that challenges, David's ready for him. Each of those stones had a name of the brother, one of those brothers on it. And Goliath starts swearing and saying, you send a dog to take me down and I'm going I'm to pulverize this little squirt, this dog. And while he's blah, 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 David starts swinging that sling. And the giant's laughing. Everybody, all the Philistines laughing their head off. <laughs> Look at this little squirt. This is hilarious. And in the head, and down he goes. You could just hear, you could hear the silence. The silence was deafening. The Philistines were stunned. The Israelites were stunned. Everybody is stunned except David. David had done this before. And after the giant goes down, does David stop? No, he keeps running towards Goliath and the whole Philistine army. Just David, the little squirt, running towards Goliath and the whole army, and they're just standing there, and as that little squirt David is running towards Goliath and the army, the army's like backing off. Where did this little attack chihuahua come from? David picks up Goliath's sword and chops off his head. And all of a sudden, the reality of what's happened, it hits Israel, and they erupt into Mighty shouts of praise and thanksgiving, and they now are in heart, hot pursuit after the Philistines. Wow. So great is this victory that Saul says, I need this guy to work for me. <laughs> I can't send him home to work with his dad's sheep anymore. He's going to come going to come and he's going to play music for me. And so that's what he does. Oh, there's Goliath. Done? There's David playing his harp for Saul. The Bible says that, that spirits were tormenting Saul. And the only thing that could calm Saul's spirit down 
that David would come and play the harp and sing for him. And in those moments while Saul is sitting there looking at young David, so full of faith, receiving so much admiration, admiration of his people, feeling tormented in his spirit, he picks up his, his spear and chucks it at David. I think that's what David's looking at. He's looking at, whoa, he just missed me. <laughs> David remains true to God, continues to do God's will. That's David's story. Now, in the little bit of time left to me, I want to just quickly talk to you about David's faith. How was David's faith developed so that he was able to become an amazing leader and a great man of God? Remember what I said? Life is about testing. David understood this better than anybody. Look what it says here. David said, this is, these are the words of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious, anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Folks, if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then that is, that's your prayer to God. Not only do you understand and recognize that you are going to be tested constantly, but you are now inviting God to test you. Now, that's a sign of real maturity. You show me somebody who's saying, God, test me and point out anything in me that offends you, anything that's not right. And I'm going to show you somebody who's got real depth in their walk with God. Show me somebody who says, God, stop the testing, stop the trials, stop the suffering. I don't want it anymore. I'm going to show you somebody who probably is quite immature in their faith. That's right, I said it. And you're going to see in just a moment why. But David knew that if he was going to mature, if he was going to be complete, if he's, not, if he's going to be in a position where he's lacking nothing, then he knew that he had to be tested so that his faith would grow. And look at this, so that his relationship with God would grow even more. It's not an accident that God says about David, here is a man after my own heart. And by the way, can I tell you this? God had determined that David was a man after his own heart before he ever fought any giants, before he did any great exploits for God. It was in the wilderness where it was just David alone with God that God saw the heart of this young man. He hadn't even done anything great yet. He, has, he was not a man of great stature and obviously not a man that was even as good-looking as, as his brother Eliab. But his heart was one with God. Can I ask you today, is your heart one with God? Are you where you need to be in your relationship with God? David knew that growing in faith and growing close to God required that God test him. And by the way, how does God test us? Well, James tells us. He says, and look at this, consider it pure joy. Would you say that with me? Consider it pure joy. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Consider a pure joy whenever I have a party, whenever I get something, whenever I go on a cruise, whenever I go to Banff. Consider a pure joy whenever I get my paycheck, whenever I get free lunch. No. Consider a pure joy whenever 
you face trials of many kinds. Are you thankful for your trials? Say, I thought those were from the devil. Well, they might be. But I can tell you this. If you are a child of God, you are in God's hands, and God is allowing this for his purposes and for his reasons. And you don't have to be afraid. Tell the person beside you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Look at this. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Anybody want to grow up, be mature, not lack anything? Then here's the way that God does it in your life. He allows you to face trials of many kinds. Can I just quickly remind you of some of the tests that David went through? As a shepherd boy, he's got nothing to do but watch sheep. It's a test. How is he going to use his time? And rather than just sitting there doing nothing, he decides he's going to learn to be an expert with his sling. And by the way, there's no shortage of ammunition in the wilderness. And so he picked up that stone, missed, 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 getting closer, getting closer, and he's able to knock off his target every single time. What are you doing in your spare time? How are you spending your time? You got nothing to do? Okay, I'll just watch TV, I'll do nothing. Not David. I'm going to tell you, any, any bear, any lion that came near his sheep, the same way he faced down Goliath, he, shaped, he, he just faced down the bear, the lion, the same way. When they came running, he came running right towards them. Yeah, bring it on. And he knows how to use that sling. Boy, if he misses by just a hair the first time, he's not going to miss the second time. Boom! Down they go. He's all alone. Is he overwhelmed by his loneliness? No, he knows he's not alone. You overwhelmed by your loneliness? You're not alone. David would tell you you're not alone. In the wilderness, in the backside of the desert, he had God with him. And he starts singing praises to God. He starts writing psalms. He had a rich, rich relationship with God. Loneliness, my eye. No loneliness for David. He's talking to God all day long. He was tested. He passed that test. And then the day comes, he's anointed to be the next king. When he came to town and heard Goliath blaspheming God and challenging Israel, he suddenly remembered, I'm an anointed man. I'm not, I can't just stand by and do nothing. I can't say, oh, well, I'm not a soldier. It's not my job. He says, who's doing this? Who's, what are we going to do about it? Come on, let's get this thing fixed. Let's do this thing. I'm anointed by God, and we're going to fix this. This is the problem with so many of us as believers. We think, oh, well, it's not my job. Listen, my friends, when Jesus Christ left this earth, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And if you are a believer today, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God's called you to do. And you can't sit idly by. David passed the test. And when the opportunity came to serve God, he was saying, here, my God, I'm ready to do my job. I'm ready to report for duty. And he takes down the giant. He knew that 
the God of Israel was on the side of Israel. He knew he had nothing to worry about. What about you? Are you ready to say, God, here am I, use me, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do? You see, it should have been Saul taking on the giant because he was the king. He also was anointed by God, but he didn't have faith. He didn't believe God, and because he didn't believe God, he was not willing to do what God wanted him to do. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart because this book, this Bible, is full of God's commands, God's instructions, God's promises, and when you take God at his word and you do what he tells you to do, my friends, God's gonna come through for you in a way that will blow your mind. David understood that. Bring on the giants, bring on the bears, bring on the lions, I'll take them all on. What about you? Are you ready to do whatever God wants you to do? Or are you cowering in the corner, too afraid to make a move, too afraid that you're going to fail, too afraid that God's not going to help you? I'm telling you right now, God's in the business of coming through for his children every time. Someone say amen. Saul became, or David became a servant to Saul. And you know what they were singing about? Saul and David, they were singing a really uh, provocative song. The people were just calling it as they saw it, and they were singing this song that said, uh, David has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. David's like, oh, no. And Saul heard the song, and he's livid. He now is so jealous and so angry that the people love David more than him, that he's ready to kill David. But guess what, my friends? This is another test. David was in a position when he was hunted down by Saul. He was in a position to kill Saul. And everybody would say he was in his right since Saul was trying to kill him. But you know what he says to his men? I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He passed the test again. He refused to get even. He refused to take revenge. He refused to hold a grudge. He refused to be bitter. What about you? Are you holding a grudge? Are you dreaming at nights of revenge, of getting, getting even? David passed another test. As time went on, he became the great King David. He was faced with yet another test. And this time, he's the seasoned, all-powerful king, and he can do as he pleases. But the question is this, and it's a question for all of us today, is will he do what pleases God? Because here's the thing. You and I, we can live our lives and try to please ourselves. In fact, most of us have believed the lie of our culture that says that that's exactly what life is about. Live for yourself, do as you please, it's all about you. You deserve this and you deserve that. You deserve a break today. Will he pass the test? Well, you know the story. One day while relaxing, Taking it easy, he uh, sees a woman bathing on a nearby rooftop. 
David should have been out with his men fighting the battles of Israel, but instead there he is, the voyeur, looking at this woman bathing. Now some think that Bathsheba was just uh, was equally as guilty as David because what was she doing bathing naked on her roof? David, sadly, failed the test. Rather than turning his eyes away, rather than fleeing from evil, he leans into evil, and he calls Bathsheba to himself, to his bed, and he has sex with her. He gets her pregnant. He has sinned against God. He has sinned against this woman, and he sinned against this woman's husband, Uriah. And rather than dealing with this the way he ought to have done, he tries to cover it up. And he calls Uriah home, sleep with your wife, but he won't do it because his men can't sleep with their wives, so therefore he's not sleeping with his wife. And so David now is frustrated, and he calls, writes a little note, says, calls Uriah, give this to your general. What Uriah doesn't know is that David has given Uriah a death sentence. And when Uriah hands the note to the general, the general reads the note, and David has said, put this man in the front lines of battle. And you know what happens, he dies. And David thinks, well, I've cleaned up that mess. Hey, before we go any further, isn't it good to know that God includes people in the scripture who screw up and make messes like we do? It wasn't perfect for David. I wish we could say it was perfect, but it wasn't. And David, now thinking he's cleaned up the mess, has forgotten that there's somebody that he cannot fool. You can't fool God. How many know today you can't fool God? That moment that David got his eyes on Bathsheba is a moment that he stopped believing God and doing what God says. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Satan will do everything in his power to get you to a position where you stop believing God. And what has come into your life that stopped you from trusting God, from believing God and doing what he says? God will use all sorts of, I mean, Satan will use all sorts of things to get you to a place where you forget about God. Well, the good news, folks, is that when Nathan the prophet comes to David and exposes his sin, this time David does pass the test. And he comes before God and he confesses his sin. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. It's against you and you alone that I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You have proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So purify me, O God, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. 
Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me and do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they'll return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. And I'll unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice that you desire, O God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor from Zion and help me. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. The bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What test are you going through today? If you failed God, if you've let him down the way David did, I want you to know something today. God still loves you. And just as he forgave David, he will forgive you. Are there consequences for our sin? Oh, yeah, there are consequences. But know this. God still loves you. And in this moment when you are feeling the pressure of your sin, understand that that is yet another test. Because Satan's whispering in your ear and he's saying, it's all over, you've messed up, there's no hope, you're not going to make it, just quit, walk away, don't do this anymore. But folks, you need to say no. No, Satan, go to hell. My God loves me. My God is a forgiving God. And when I repent and ask God to forgive me my sin as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed my sin from me. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. God, thank you today. Thank you for David, a man after your own heart. Oh, God, he did such wonderful things. We're so thankful, God, that his life is not defined by his sin, by his his screw-up. Some of us have been hearing the voice of Satan whispering in our ear, telling us that we're screw-ups, we'll never amount to anything, we can't get it right, we keep failing, we keep failing, we keep failing. But, Father, your Spirit's speaking to our hearts today, and you're reminding us how much you love us. Thank you that David has taught us how to repent. And we say, have mercy on me, O God because of your unfailing love. So, Father, I pray right now that every single one of us will go from this place praying for the grace and the courage to believe you and do whatever you say, knowing, God, that we can do great and mighty things if we just believe you and do what you say. Help us to pass every test. and pray that in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, go pass the test.